So that was the start of a great day. We're going to be pushing into God's Word. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 11. Remember the original plan was to Matthew chapter 11 verses 1 through 19. Um, and then, you know, last week it quickly became 15, which then quickly became 1 through 6. And so now we're going to be 7 through 15. And then we will, uh, and then I'll adjust the, the online calendar for those of you who keep track of, of our sermon series. Uh, another note about our sermon series is that some churches, and I, and I understand why they do this, I think it's a good move to do. Uh, we have done it ourselves, but whenever they hit summer, they will stop their current series and they'll do uh, like a micro series or they'll do the Psalms or something like that through the summer because then everybody's like back in in August. Um, we've done that. We're just not doing it this summer um, because we're just trusting that the that God is working all the schedules and calendars and everyone who's supposed to be here is here on the days they're supposed to or they're catching up. Um, so they're all, to the best of our ability, we're, we're trying to get them uh, posted in a pretty timely manner. So if you miss a week, go back in, please, and listen, because then you can make sure everything's kept in context. All right, so here we go. Matthew 11, 7 through 15. Here's where we're picking up. John the Baptist, the prophet. As they went away... Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who wear soft clothing are in king's houses. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence, and the violent take it by force. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John, and if you're willing to accept it, he is Elijah who is to come. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Let's pray one more time because there's a lot packed in there. Lord, help us to tremble at your word. Your word is living and active, a two-edged sword. And Lord, whenever we get to passages like this, help us to, to wander and to be captivated by who you are. Because Lord, this one's not about us. Lord, this is none of all of Scripture is really about us. It's about you and what you've instructed to us. But this is, Lord, we're, we're learning of John the Baptist and we're learning even more of you in light of John the Baptist. But Lord, we thank you for this example of who he is. Lord, for the forerunner of who he is. And Lord, for you and your faithfulness throughout all generations. But Lord, help us to be attentive to your word, to tremble before it and to understand it. You give understanding. And that's what we want today. And we praise on your son's holy name. Amen. Okay, so first point is simply this. It's just this reminder that the gospel of Matthew is about Jesus and not us. The gospel of Matthew was written to tell us more about Jesus, not to tell us more about us and who we are. There are plenty of passages throughout Matthew that tell us who we are and how we can live and how we respond in righteousness. There are plenty of those passages. But if you get to this one, you realize that Jesus is speaking to the crowds and then he's talking about John the Baptist. And you and I really aren't a big part of that story. 
We're in there just a little bit. I'm going to show you. It's really cool. But it's really not about us. And so it's tempting for us to come to this passage and then leave from this passage saying, well, what does that have to do with me? I, I need to know what to do with that passage in my life. And really, here's what it comes down to. The passage is not about you and me. This is a passage about John the Baptist and a passage about Jesus and therefore ultimately about the faithfulness of God. Like that's what this is about. But I do want us to understand these, these passages, these verses. So we're just going to do what we do. We're going to start moving through them. All right, but I just want to tell you on the front end, if you're looking for at the end a therefore, here are three things that we do in light of this, it's not going to happen. It's going to be at the very end of this, therefore, let us stand in wonder. Let us say, thank you, God, for your faithfulness. Like, that's the only thing I know to do in light of this passage. You might have other ideas. We can talk about it over burgers. But the ultimate culmination of this is you know, John the Baptist, he's a pretty big deal. And, and talking about John the Baptist, we understand more about Jesus. But then there's this truth in there that I think that we sometimes miss for ourselves. And so we will touch on that. Okay, so now we're going to start moving. John the Baptist, we're going to start with he's uncommon and he's bold. He's a cool guy. He's a wild man. And we've preached on that. But John the Baptist, uncommon and bold is our first point, verses 7 through 8. Jesus asked him, he says, as, or says, as they went away, we're going to talk about that. Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who wear soft clothing are in king's houses. We're just going to stop there because, number one, what in the world? Like, what do we do with that? All right, let's, let's start. As they went away. This is like our transition piece from last week. Who are the they? This is our note of transition. But remember, John the, the Baptist had sent his disciples. John the Baptist was in prison and he sent his disciples to Jesus to say, are you the Messiah or shall we look for another? And we, we moved through that last week. Was this a matter of doubt? Was it a matter of assurance? I'm OK with either one. John the Baptist was a human. He was a real man in very um, bad situation, a very odd circumstance is what I want to say. Here is the guy who has proclaimed the Christ, who baptized the Christ, who told the world that I'm preparing you for Jesus and I'm going to present Jesus to you. Like this is that John the Baptist and he sends his disciples to say, are you the Messiah or not? Like that's what we looked at last week. And I'm okay with, if it was a matter of doubt, it makes sense to me considering his circumstances. He spent his entire ministry, his entire life, knowing that he was the forerunner of the Christ who was to come. And he's sitting there in prison, and Jesus has all authority, and yet he's still sitting there in prison, and Jesus is doing all these miracles. Are you the Messiah or are you not? Maybe you just need the assurance. We talked about that. And Jesus affirmed to those disciples that once he's sending away now, he is firm to them, yes, I am the Messiah and I have come. And the import of that, like what we take from that, I believe is, you know, God is faithful and he has come and it's going to be okay. That's what he was, I believe, communicating to John through all the clutter of, yes, I am the Messiah. And if I'm the Messiah and if I've come, then John, you know, everything's okay. So it's these disciples that he sends away. So as they're going away, now Jesus turns to the crowds and he was addressing John's disciples about himself. Now he turns to the crowds and he's addressing them about John the Baptist. So I'm thinking that the conversation with the disciples was not entirely private. 
I'm thinking that, the, that there's a conversation with the disciples here, or maybe they're part of the crowd, and then they go away because they're sending that message to John. They got what they needed, and the crowds are still sitting there. And so Jesus is now going to talk about the importance of John the Baptist. And we don't always talk about some of the important figures all throughout Scripture that were given to us for our good. But Jesus wants to make sure that they don't misunderstand, I believe, anything about what just happened. The John the Baptist that you came out to see, that John the Baptist, he's good. Don't worry. Like this was our conversation. I've told John what he needs to know. I'm going to tell you what you need to know Excuse me, about John the Baptist. So he's going to share with the crowds the importance of John the Baptist. That's what all this is about to be. And then listen to this. In telling them about John the Baptist, he's sharing the faithfulness of God and thereby, thereby his own identity as well. He is the Messiah. He cannot talk about who John the Baptist is without talking about himself. John the Baptist is one of the signs that they'd been waiting on and waiting on and waiting on. They'd been waiting on the Messiah, but then Elijah is supposed to come back. And then we're going to see, or we already know, he says, John the Baptist, he is Elijah. And if he's Elijah and he has come, then do you know who I am? Like this is all part of the paradigm that's going on. All right. I do want to also pause here. Had a great conversation with the Thomases the other day. I'm just going to put you all right there. And we're talking about how sometimes like I preach or Andy preaches or Mike preaches. And it's really a monologue. It's, it's from this person here to everyone. And we're going at a certain pace. And you probably have questions that come up. But when's the right time to ask those questions? What do you do with those questions? And so as we're talking, I'm like, that's a great point. That's valid. So I just want to remind everyone of what we've wanted to be from the very beginning. Ask questions. Explore. Text the elders. Text one another and say, hey, or call and say, or say, hey, can I catch you right after service? I try to be free after the service in case anyone says, hey, I heard you say this, but, but what do I, I don't know if I understood that entirely correctly. And if we can talk about it then, we will. If I need to send you a text back, I will. If we need to have coffee, we will. But, but never be afraid or never hesitate to ask questions whenever the time is right. The disciples ask questions all the time, right? So I just want to encourage that because there might be some in here, some parts where you go, I don't think I quite understand that. And you didn't spend a whole lot of time on it, or you did, but I still didn't get it. Please ask. And if I think it's a great question, then I won't say who asked me. I'm just going to put it down into the group. Me or since everyone say, hey, you guys got a great question about the passage. Want to clarify this. Sometimes a great question comes from my wife. Right. And I've had to send a message out because she's told me, hey, you said this. And here's what I heard. I'm like, that's not what I was meaning at all. She's like, mm hmm. It came across that way. I was like, OK. So I've, some of you probably remember I've sent stuff out saying, hey, clar clarifying my language. This is what I meant. And, um, and I'm glad I did. All right. So in telling you about John the Baptist, Jesus is really telling us about the faithfulness of God and thereby his own identity. So the disciples are walking away. The crowds are there. And he asks them, what did you go out into to the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind. Well, then did you go out to see a man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who wear soft clothing are in the king's houses. A reed shaken by the wind. He says, did you go out to see a reed shaken by the wind? In other words, did you come to see something very common and very weak that even the wind jostles? Like that John the Baptist, he was not a weak like reed in the wind. He says, did you come out to see a man dressed in soft clothing? Did, did you come out here because you thought that there was someone fancy out here, someone dressed really nice, some royalty out here? Because you know that they're in the king's houses. No, you, 
This John the Baptist that you came out to see, that, that, the, that all of Jerusalem and Judea, that y'all would come to, he was uncommon and bold. He was not a reed. He's not easily shaken. Don't worry. He's not someone who is apart from you. He is not dressed in fancy clothing. He is, in fact, you know what we find out in Matthew 3, 4? He's not in soft clothing at all. He's in, it says, now John wore a garment of camel's hair. I've ridden a camel a few times in my life. I don't quite remember the texture, but I don't think it was very soft. Okay, But he's wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locust and wild honey. Y'all, that John the Baptist, he is no reed, he is no man in soft clothing. And yet, Matthew 3, 5 says, Jerusalem and all of Judea and all the region about the Jordan were going out to see him. And they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. What were they going to see? So Jesus uses these rhetorical questions to really begin to establish, you were going to see a prophet of God. You were drawn to a prophet of God. And that's why he says, were you going to see a prophet? Yes. Like it's that, that moment. And so he's going to start pressing into this. But y'all, what were they going to see? Just to clarify, they were going to see John the Baptist clothed in camel hair with a leather belt cinched around his waist, eating locusts and wild honey and standing in a river yelling at everyone, proclaiming that the kingdom was in proximity. The kingdom was coming and they need to repent and confess their sins and be baptized because the kingdom is coming and that kingdom is coming with the king. And so they're all coming out to see him. And so Jesus is reminding them of who that John the Baptist is. Bigger context also, there's a subtle shift that started happening in Matthew chapter 10, and we're going to start seeing it more in chapter 11. If at the beginning of Matthew we saw, his, we saw Jesus' birth, then we heard his teaching, and then we saw his miracles, now we're seeing the rise of opposition. In chapter 10, he sent out his disciples and said, you will be persecuted. John, who sent his disciples, is in prison. And so now, and then we hear this phrase that... Um, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence and the violence taken by force. That's a really weird verse. It's going to be one you probably text me about. That's, but we hear, like, that's, that's where we are now. Opposition is coming against Jesus. It's coming against the kingdom. All right, so next point. John the Baptist, the prophet, and more. He says, what then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. That's interesting. This is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. This is it. This is who they came to see. They came to see a prophet. He says, You came out to hear a prophet of God, one who, God, one who would tell you what God wants to communicate to his people. That's who you came to. You came to that John the Baptist. And then he says, and he is a prophet. Then it says he is more than a prophet. That's, what do we do with that? means he's not just any prophet. I mean this respectfully, but he's not just Isaiah. He's not just Malachi. He's not just some of these minor prophets. He's not some of these prophets that, that, are, that are published. Like he's more than a prophet. He's a prophet, but he's more than a prophet. Why? Like what in the world? And it's this. Because he's more than a prophet because he is the one who is fulfilling the prophecies. That's pretty cool. He is the fulfillment of prophecy also. But even more than that, what makes him greater than all the other prophets? Not only is he the one whom Scripture has declared, 
He is the one who's privileged to announce the Messiah. No other prophet got to do that. No other prophet got to proclaim the Messiah and baptize him and present him to the world. No other prophet got to do that. This is a high honor. We have to keep everything in that historical timeline. Everything that we know about Jesus and that we can understand and that we can go to the word for, they were waiting on at that time. We are on this side of the cross. They were waiting on the Messiah to come. He gets the privilege to announce the Messiah. And all the law and the prophets, everything is building up to this high prophet who will declare that the Messiah has come. John's job was to prepare the world for Jesus and then present Jesus to the world. And we've talked through that and he does it faithfully. Y'all, this is greater than what any other prophet has had the honor of doing. That's why he's more than a prophet. Side note. I think it's a good pastoral side note for us. John the Baptist was more than a prophet because he got to proclaim Jesus to a world who had no idea. That made him a prophet that was greater than any other prophet. Do you understand what we get to do in the joy of living in Jesus Christ? I'm not saying we're prophets. I'm saying we're children of the King, and this is what he's called us to do. We get to present Jesus just like John got to. And it's an honor and a privilege. Coming back, what, just, just so you know, um, that's a, he provides an Old Testament passage. Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way before you. I just want you to know that's a Malachi 3.1. So if you were to take Matthew and start flipping to your left, I, kinda, I want you to do this. You're going to just hold your place in Matthew 11 and start flipping to your left. Then you're going to get to a blank page probably, and on the, the other side of that blank page it says New Testament, and there may even be one more blank page, and then you're in Malachi. Malachi, the final prophet. The final prophet of the Old Testament as we have it recorded here. If you look, Malachi 3.1, Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. Here's why I want you to go to Malachi, though. Go to chapter 2. Look at the, the verse right before it in 2.17. You, he's talking to him, to, to Israel. You have wearied the Lord with your words. But you say, how have we wearied him? By saying, everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord and he delights in them. Or by asking, here's one of their big words, here, or one of their big questions. Where is the God of justice? To which God replies, Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. Right? Jesus being presented at the temple. And the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. Do you know what they were asking in the Old Testament? They were saying, where is God? And Malachi 3.1 is him saying, I am coming. I'm coming, but before I come, I'm going to send my messenger. With me? Now go to Matthew chapter 11. Back in Matthew chapter 11, verse 10, Jesus says, This is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare the, your way before you. He says, This is the one. John the Baptist is the messenger. And if he's the messenger, then I am the Messiah. Make sense enough with me? Okay. Let's keep moving through the text. 
John the Baptist, the greatest, and yet. It's just, this is where I kind of had to pause and just marvel for a moment. He says, truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. I'm just going to tell you, I don't think about John the Baptist in that way. But he says, no one is greater than John the Baptist. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Hear me. It is because of his role in relationship to the Messiah that there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. That's why. John the Baptist is greater than everyone else because of his relationship with who the Messiah is. Because he is the one who is the because he's the one who's preparing the way. That's what makes him greater. Because he's the one who gets to present Jesus. That's what makes him greater. It's his relationship to the Messiah. Y'all, this points then to the magnificence and the majesty of Jesus Christ. If John the Baptist is greater than any other prophet, if all the prophets, think about this, if they've all pointed and communicated on behalf of God and pointed others to God, then what makes Jesus so great that John is even greater? And I know we kind of know this, but keep in mind, they didn't know it. If John is so much greater that he is honored above all others because of Jesus Christ, then what does that mean of Christ? It means this, Hebrews 1, verses 3 through 4. Jesus, he is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature. He upholds the universe by the word of his power. And after making purifications for sins, he got to sit down at the right hand of majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. Y'all, John is greater because of him who he proclaims. He proclaims that Jesus, therefore he is greater. No one else has had this honor. But of Jesus, listen to this, Colossians 1, 15 through 17. I forget this. Surely I'm not alone. Here's our Jesus. He is the image of the invisible God. And he walked on this earth. He's the firstborn of all creation, which means he gets all the inheritance of everything that's ever been created. He's the firstborn. Everything is his. Verse 16, for by him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And, in, and he is before all things and in him all things hold together. That's your Jesus. And John got to present him to the world and baptize him. Therefore, among anyone who's ever been born of a woman, there is no one greater. In Revelation, all of heaven and creation bow down and sing praises to the Lamb, Jesus Christ, the one whom the prophet John the Baptist pointed to and proclaimed and presented. That's what makes him greater. His relationship to the Messiah elevates his stature. And ours as well. We are children of the king. And I just forget it. But John the Baptist, he was a wild man. Now, I don't know, maybe we would have gone out there like and been surprised that he was, you know, that the camel hair was actually presented in a pretty um, chic way. Like maybe he was a fanciful man. I don't believe so. I think that if we were to go out there, we would see here's this wild man, firm in his convictions and dressed in coarse clothing, preparing the way of the Lord without wavering. That's everything up to this point. It was not his appearance. It was in his message. He had the honor to proclaim the king. And then it goes on and says, yet the one who is least in the kingdom 
of heaven is greater than he. And this is where you and I are in the passage. This is where we get to be. Like if you're looking for the hour moment, this is where you and I would be. And it's a pretty radical truth that should absolutely humble us. We should be astonished and humbled at who we are because of the king. You know what we never see John the Baptist doing? Pounding his chest and proclaiming his prominence. We don't see him posturing his life to make sure that he is right in, like that he is highly esteemed in the kingdom. Instead, what we get is a man from jail sends his disciples to say, Are you the Messiah? Or do we look for, another, look for and hope in another? You're the Messiah? Okay. That's John the Baptist. In the sovereignty of God, there's only one king. There's only one God. There's only one Lord. And yet, there's a difference in knowing who we are and having joy in that and being prideful in who we are. And Christians who go around seeking their prominence and seeking that their name and that their life gets all the preference and all the attention doesn't seem to follow the model of Christ or John the Baptist or the disciples. We proclaim the king and the king works everything out. We either trust him or we don't. All right. So all that said, this should humble us. If John, the last of all the Old Testament prophets, by the way, if I said Malachi was at the end of the Old Testament, John the Baptist is the last of the Old Testament prophets. Although in the New Testament, he's regarded as an Old Testament prophet because he still precedes Christ. He's still pointing to Christ and he still acts like those bold prophets of the Old Testament. So it's just a fun fact. Okay. If John... The last of the Old Testament prophets is the greatest prophet in all of history. Then consider how radical Jesus' statement is. Here it is. Anyone who is in the kingdom, that is, anyone who believes in Jesus Christ, even if he or she were to be at the lowest rank in the kingdom of God, then he or she would still be greater than John the Baptist in this world. So much greater is the kingdom of God that if you're at the lowest, and this is where you're going to have questions, and I'm going to say, I don't know. Okay, what does it mean to be the lowest rank or the lowest esteem in the kingdom of God that we haven't even seen? Here's what I can tell you, that even if you're at the lowest, you're higher than the most highly honored prophet was in this world, in the kingdom of God. You and I are loved and lavished on and cherished by God who created us. That's what it means that anyone who's in the kingdom, by our belief, if we are in the kingdom, we believe in Jesus Christ, we have faith in him. If that is the case, then in that kingdom of God, which is higher than this world, to be the lowest means to be greater than anything else in this world. That's just pretty awesome. Like, when did we quit dwelling on that? Like, I'm not saying that nothing's ever going to go wrong. I'm not saying that the days aren't going to be bad. John the Baptist is in prison, for crying out loud. I'm just saying that the work that God is doing is on such a greater level than what you and I can imagine. And that should give us peace. All of the pieces of what he's doing in this world are for your good and his glory. For my good and his glory. Every decision that I make as a husband and a father is for the good of my family. Not for my glory. It's for the good of my family and providing for them. If I did it for my glory, then that would be prideful. God to do it for his glory is only right. Right? Okay, I'm going to keep going. Ooh, that's a really fun passage. 
Let me, let me try. Because we are in the kingdom of the king and his kingdom is higher than any aspect of his current creation or world, you and I believers are a part of something so incredibly greater than what is around us. And one day we will, without veil, be forever in the glory of the majestic God. It is not because of who we are. It is because of whose we are. It is because of our relationship to the Messiah. We are therefore greater. You know, he has forgiven our sins. I just want you to remember this. Absolutely, he's forgiven our sins. He has saved us to the uttermost. Absolutely. He has fully and eternally adopted us. And he does not unadopt. Listen to Ephesians 2, 5 through 7. Even when we were dread in our I'm sorry, dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And look at this. He raised us up with him, Jesus, and he seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So then the coming ages, you know what he's going to do? So that he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. That is why we are greater. Because we have been adopted. We've been raised up by him. All of this is through him by grace through faith. Okay, now this strange verse. Verse 12. I say strange because it is. All right. Verse 12. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence, and the violent take it by force. For all the prophets in the law prophesied until John. I think that this is a strange verse. It seems to come out of nowhere. It's even stranger whenever you begin to study it and you get into like the, to the original language. And it's why if you have a different translation than an ESV, it might not, act, might not use the word violent. It might say forceful. It might say that it is um, the kingdom of heaven um, has, endure, has been taken by force or is forcefully moving. And then, you, and then the, forceful, the forceful take it by force, or I'm sorry, the forceful take it by violence or forceful men take it by violence. There's, it's a really unique verse in that it seems like if you look at different translations, it's not saying the same thing. The problem for us is in the original language. I am not going to do like a class on this. I want to like tell you two ways it can be interpreted. And, and I had to write it over here in my Bible so that every time I get to this verse, like here's two ways that it can be interpreted. We read the ESV, and which basically comes down to the kingdom of heaven has endured violence and persecution. That's how we're going to preach it today. I'm good with that one. I'm actually also good with the original one. I'm sorry, I'm good with the other one that's based on the original language as well, which says that the kingdom has been forcibly advancing, which then provokes violent men to act. So the problem is in the word, the problem for us, not the problem in text. The problem for us is that in the original language, the word that is translated violence or forceful is the exact same word. And if you do the first part, and it appears twice, where we see that it says that it has suffered violence, the word for violence there is the same word as, and the violent, same word. So it would be great to say that it has, um, what is it? The kingdom has, force, has been forcibly advancing since John the Baptist. Like that makes sense if we actually look at what Jesus is doing. He's forcibly advancing the kingdom. It's moving. But if you translate the word here that way, then men are taking it by force is how you have to translate this last part. And so really scholars 
are really wrestling with what's the, what is the most contextually right way to interpret it, this verse to those who were hearing it. And none of us were there. We don't know how they actually heard this verse. We know the two ways that we could traditionally interpret it. I see how both would work. Because if the kingdom is forcibly advancing, then who's the one who's going to forcibly advance the kingdom? God. And then those men who take it by force are those like the disciples, those who are going out and they are working alongside God to take the kingdom by force. That works for me. There's nothing exegetically wrong with that. The other one, the one that I, I tend to fall to more, is this, that it refers to the persecution that's going on at the time. That the violence, that since John the Baptist, violence has been occurring against the kingdom and violent men are acting against the kingdom. Are y'all with me so far? Like, okay, either one of those works. The reason I side with violence is because I think about chapter, about violence coming to the kingdom is I think about chapter 10. He warned his disciples that there would be persecution, that there would be violence. John the Baptist is in prison. And right now he is pointing to like the expansion of the kingdom. So I say this, the, this refers to persecution that has been coming against Jesus, his disciples, and therefore the kingdom. Since John, because it says this has been happening since John. Right. Or, or until John, this has been going on like since John began proclaiming the kingdom's proximity, persecution was arising. Even the Pharisees and Sadducees were getting angry with John. They're going out. By this point, John has been in prison because he spoke out against an adulterous marriage. Violence was present and would continue. And but this also is what we see throughout the prophets and law. God's people are subject to violence and persecution because of their relationship to him. So what if you like the other one where God is forcibly advancing? I do too. What if you like the one where violence is increasing because the kingdom is increasing? I do too. I think it's one of those where in God's like sovereignty for what we lack in translating, both of them work and neither one actually take away from what's going on in the text. But I want you to hear like me and Andy and Mike, we want you to hear their passages and verses that even as we study, we go, huh, okay. Don't know what to do with that one, Lord, but here's where we're, this makes sense. The, both of them work. So if you like one interpretation over another of that verse, we're both going to end in the same place because the kingdom is advancing and God is advancing his kingdom. And as he does that, people will act against it and people will seek to, to engage it and, and make the kingdom happen. They're going to go out. But at the same time, violence is going to increase. And as violence increases because the kingdom is advancing, the violent men are going to work against that. All right. Therefore, I'm going to put a pin in that one. All right, therefore, the presence of violence and persecution we find all throughout history does not stop the spread of the gospel. Rather, what it does, and what it does from this point on, is it magnifies the message to fulfill all, the law and the pro all that the law and the prophets foretold. Okay. And if you're willing to accept it, he says, so here's John the Baptist, Elijah. If you're willing to accept it, he is Elijah who is to come. You and I read those words. And we're like, okay, cool. No, for them, this would have been staggering. For them, this was everything. I, want to, I just want us to grasp it all. And I've, I've been doing this intentionally. Actually, we were going to preach this passage backwards. 
We were going to start with Elijah and then move backwards. Because once you understand the importance of Elijah in this narrative, then everything else also makes sense. But then I thought, well, that could actually be really, really confusing, even whenever there's, or especially because there's strange verses in there as well. So we've been moving up to this point. Here's why this is important. Israel had been waiting on the Messiah. Yes. But they were also waiting on Elijah. Right. Because he's going to send the forerunner. Elijah was believed to be that one. They believed that the prophet Elijah would return before the Messiah would come. And so they were looking for Elijah. And John the Baptist, I'm going to show you whenever I'm going to show you something kind of funny here. Um, in Malachi, why were they waiting on Elijah? If 3.1 says, I'm going to send the messenger. If you actually went back to Malachi and you go to chapter 4, verse 5, it says, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord. So here Jesus says, here's the one you've been waiting on. Not only is he uncommon and bold, not only is he a prophet, but greater than a prophet, not only is he all those things, but he is Elijah. He's the one you've been waiting on. He's the one who's preparing the way for the Lord. He is Elijah. And get this, if Elijah has returned, then the Messiah himself is now present also. I am the Messiah. He cannot talk about John the Baptist without proclaiming who he is. That's not pride. That's not arrogance. That's not self-centeredness. That's not egocentrism. That is making sure that everybody understands the importance that the Messiah and the Savior is here and he is worthy to be praised. Okay, a little bit further. The message is that John the Baptist is Elijah. Y'all, that would have resulted in outright joy and confusion. All right, I'm going to show you these two things. Matthew 3, 4. Go to Matthew 3, 4. And we're looking at 2 Kings, and then we're going to start pulling all this together. Because this is kind of the end culmination of it all. We're going to do uh, Matthew, 2 Kings, and I'm going to show you something, just in case we missed it, in Luke. And then we're going to, we're going to land this plane. Okay, Matthew 3, 4. Because no doubt, whenever he says this, people are going, mm, really? Okay, I don't want us to miss it. Matthew 3, 4. Now John wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locust and wild honey. Everybody good? Okay, now you're going to start flipping back to 2 Kings. 2 Kings. So if you're flipping to your left, you're going to start to hit... Um, you're going to hit your wisdom literature, the Proverbs, the Psalms. Um, you're going to hit Job, Esther, Nehemiah. You're going to hit 2 Chronicles. And then you're going to hit your Kings. And then after that are the Samuels. Just so you know, if you're going from, if you're flipping backwards or you're going forward, you've got Samuel, Kings, Chronicles, 1st, 2nd, uh, 2nd Samuel, 1st, 2nd Kings, 1st, 2nd, they're in reverse alphabetical order. So Samuel, Kings, Chronicles. Okay. All right. So you're there. 2 Kings. Chapter 1, verse 5 through 8. The messengers returned to the king, and he said to them, Why have you returned? And they said to him, There came a man to meet us and said to us, Go back to the king who sent you and say to him, Thus says the Lord, Is it because there is no God in Israel that you are sending to inquire Beelzebub, the God of Ekron? Therefore you shall not come down from the bed to which you have gone up, but you will surely die. So the messengers come back and they say, Hey, we found a man and he says, Thus says the Lord, you're going to die. Look what the king says. Verse 7, he said to them, what kind of man was he who came to meet you and told you these things? And they answered him, He wore a garment of hair with a leather belt about his waist. And the king's response, It is Elijah the Tishbite. It's like a death. 
death knell. That's Elisha. The Tishbite. Elisha's right. So if you were to read, and you should read it, it's kind of cool. The king sends like, like troops, and then Elijah destroys them all, like Elijah, through the power of God. And then he sends like 50 more, and then they're destroyed, and 50 more. And then the end of the story is the king dies, and Elijah stands. Okay, but then Elijah, after his ministry is complete, he's carried up in a chariot of fire. He doesn't taste death. He doesn't die. That's why he's this enigmatic figure throughout the Old Testament. He never died. When is Elijah coming back? That's why, fast forward through all of this, back to Malachi, before the Old Testament says, I'm going to send Elijah back before I come. Y'all with me? Therefore, Matthew 3, you got John the Baptist standing out in the wilderness, camel hair, leather belt, locust wild honey. Back in 2 Kings, you had Elijah the prophet, and he was clothed in hair. It didn't say camel's hair, but he's clothed in hair with a leather belt. Both are major prophets. And so Jesus is telling them, this is Elijah. This is not reincarnation. We don't fully know what all this fully is, except that John the Baptist is born of a woman. What this really is, this is what I say, we don't know what this fully means, is here is the spirit of Elijah that is upon John the Baptist. There's a mystery there I don't quite understand for the spirit of Elijah to be laid upon him. But y'all, so... Great was the prophet Elijah that God charioted him up into his presence. And he was highly esteemed in Israel. And Jesus is saying, oh, that spirit of Elijah is back. You need to be listening. You're going to miss something important. You've been waiting on it. It's right here. Don't miss this. Listen to now. Now go back to Luke. So you return to Matthew. You go to your right. Matthew, Mark, Luke. And in Luke... Chapter 1, verses 8 through 17. Get there also. Okay, Luke chapter 1, verses 8 through 17. We're going to start in verse 8. Now, while he was serving as high priest before God when his division was on duty... This is going to be John the Baptist's father. According to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him and fell down upon him. But the angel said to him, listen closely, y'all. So you don't think that we're just making this up. So you don't think that, that Jesus has somehow missed it. The angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall, name, you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord. And he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. That's fulfilling scripture that was back here also um, in the Old Testament. And he will go before him in the spirit and the power. And the him there is, is Jesus. And he will go, bo go before him, God, in the spirit and the power of Elijah to turn the hearts and the fathers to children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. So Zechariah even hears from an angel. He is coming in the spirit of Elijah. And he's going to fulfill scripture and he will be great before the Lord. And he's going to prepare a, pe prepare a people for the Lord. This is John the Baptist. And so whenever Jesus says, 
if you'll hear it, if you have ears to hear, not physical ears, but if you have that spiritual ear, then you're going to hear something pretty amazing. Elijah has come. And in his coming, the Messiah has come. And John the Baptist is a fulfillment of prophecy. And I am the fulfillment of prophecy. And we are fulfilling all that God has promised from the beginning. We are here. So then we step back from this. And we say, well, what do I do with that? Right? Because we're at the end of the passage. Y'all this. Praise God that he's faithful. Is that not enough? I know it is. It's a rhetorical question. Is it not enough to just say, God, thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you that all that you promised, you have accomplished. Although John was in prison at the time and needed the assurance that Jesus truly wasn't his Messiah, Jesus was in the world pointing to John the Baptist and his ministry, making sure nobody missed the importance of who he was. And John's ministry, we know, was not in vain. He accomplished all that was given to him. He proclaimed the king. He prepared the world for Jesus. He presented Jesus to the world. No one else had that privilege before him. And yet now we have that privilege. What you and I rest in is that everything that God has promised from the beginning, he has fulfilled. He has sent the one who has crushed the serpent's head. He has sent the one who is a forerunner of Christ. He has sent Christ. He has sent his Holy Spirit. He has adopted us just from and, to, and has a people of his own inheritance for all time. Everything that he has promised from here, he has fulfilled and is fulfilling and will fulfill until the end of the ages. God is faithful even when you and I are not. That's enough to rest in. It's what I need my wife to remind me of sometimes. It's what you're going to have to remind me of sometimes. It's what we need to remind one another of sometimes. Remember, he's always faithful. I think that that's what we see here. You and I, I just, we're going to have our final song. I want us to, I want to challenge us to marvel and acknowledge his faithfulness. Can we just simply stop, in other words, and worship him? Worship him because he's faithful and he's done all that he said he would do. So what have we seen in the word today? Everything comes down to this. God is faithful and that's enough. He will surely keep us to the end of his days that he has for us. Lord God, thank you that you are faithful. Thank you for giving us understanding. But also, Lord, we know that your word is rich and it's deeper than anything that we can cover in 40 to 45 minutes. Lord, help us, to, help us to grasp more and more as we go from here, dwelling and thinking on you, that you're not only a God who promises, you're a God who fulfills. Thank you for your faithfulness, and our greatest hope is you, because you have come. Amen.